I'm Joanne Wilson, and this is Positively Gotham Gal. Real, honest, and meaningful conversations with women entrepreneurs about their approach to life, business, and everything in between. Maylene Barnett is an activist, artist, and the founder of Black Artists and Designers Guild, a global platform and curated collective of independent Black artists, makers, and designers. We got together over Zoom to talk about her entrepreneurial journey and the inclusion in the design field. Hi, Joanne. How are you? I am well. We are just going to start. Okay. Ready? I guess so. (laughs) All right. So, you know, we first crossed paths at that event. It was in Solo. I'm pretty sure it was Solo. And I was just talking about it to a friend. It was down there. It was a business pitching. It wasn't even a competition. It was three women owned businesses. Mm-hmm. And then we were all pitching to investors. Mm-hmm. And you happened to be in the audience as one of the investors, right? You were like, I guess the juror. I guess I don't know what I was. I was something. <laughs> you were there. <laughs> I was there. Exactly. And I was pitching my carpet business. And I always remember, Joanne, you said, don't take the money. <laughs> Do the work. Once you make your hit, all the money is yours. Get, you know, because I wanted to do hospitality and I wanted to do residential. And you said and you were making money. I was making money, but I wanted to grow. And I'll never forget that. So <laughs> and how did that advice turn out for you? Well, when it, it took a while to hit, make the hit, I'll be honest with you. It took a while to make the hit. But when I did, I was like, oh, this is what she's talking about. <laughs> 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 and then when I got the hit, I realized at that point, Joanne, I was like, I didn't want to do this anymore. Not the way I was doing it. It was it was sucking my soul in, in different ways that um, and I wasn't feeling as creative as I wanted to be. And uh, I, I took a pause. Which is OK. I mean, someone said this thing to me the other. Whoever owns the dough runs the show. Hmm, true. You know, and so as a founder of an industry, which is very creative and really hard because you have to continue to create, there's not a point where, okay, I've created enough products. I don't have to do anything else, you know, and you're dealing with people on the other side of the fence who want certain things. And, but once you get profitable, if you wanted to build bigger, then you can take money under your terms. Mm-hmm. Which true, true. That makes sense. That makes sense. But to your point, that's one of the things about the industry. It's about you always have to be making something. They want to see what's new. But then, you know, I've had those moments where I didn't want to make anything new. Right. <laughs> well, you must have been artistic from the time you were a child. Yes, ever since I was eight years old. I was in an artistically talented program at elementary school, drawing and painting on a weekly basis. And then, of course, it led into other areas, you know, with classes. My mother was a pianist, so I played the piano. I played the violin. So I was always surrounded by something creative or, you know, so it's, it's in me. It's 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 part of my DNA. A hundred percent. And um, and where did you grow up? I grew up in Norwalk, Connecticut. Okay. Small town. Um, and my mother's still there. So uh, she's still in the same house that I grew up in. And I do go back and I'm still 
still friends with my art, my high school art teacher who always, oh, cool. yeah, she supported, encouraged me from, you know, from high school. And she's always said, Melanie, she says, you're an artist. And that's what, you know, that's who you are. It's part of you. It is part of you, but you also are a good business person. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I bumped into you at fairs and other things. Yes. and You were definitely in many ways ahead of your time as a black designer, because some of the things that you were putting together and putting out there, many people didn't see that stuff. Yeah. That were working to design homes that or properties or whatever it is that represented perhaps them. And, you know, I mean, I've always paid attention to that industry, but now more than ever, of course, I see products and materials and art that's very representative of um, Black creatives. Yeah, I mean, listen, Black culture has always been a part of the focus of my practice. It was part of how I was learning about my history and, and, and ways for me to connect to heritage and ancestral practices. And I felt like my work was an extension to share the stories of my community. And I could not separate myself personally with my work because for me, they intertwined with, with each other. And so when I would, to your point, when I was sharing you know, the stories of my ancestors, both past and, and current, it was always a challenge to quote unquote, try to sell those stories, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in the forms of design, to your point, that was not um, recognized on, a, on that scale. It was acceptable for say a painting. It was acceptable in different, in other mediums. Mm -hmm. But when it came to design, it was just not there yet. But I had a vision. And that was always my vision to do. And you were ahead of your time in that regards. I mean, even now when we are seeing, hopefully we are not returning, we are moving forward, but you know, you're seeing people who are getting highlighted, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? And so you went into a world of high-end design that is now much more relative to every community. Yeah, and you know, the irony though is that high-end design has always looked to African culture, the diaspora, for the source of inspiration for centuries, but yet never gave the credit, never acknowledged the origin stories. And so what we've been taught as authentic African design has been translated through European lens. And so we automatically assume the ownership is on that European lens when the reality is it's really African design. Yes, 100%. You know, yes. and I think now we're starting to have these conversations around origin stories and realizing that think of any designer that you really look up to, even artists too, as we know from Brancusi to say a Picasso, they all went to the continent to source, to be inspired. I mean, a lot of it started with, we could go back historically when the Europeans were looting in West Africa and taking the work, you know? And as you could see in the news now with the Benin bronzes that are finally being returned, those sculptures were in museums in Europe where those artists would go to source inspiration. And what were they looking at? They were looking at the Ogo, Benin's bronze, you know, which is the area where we call Nigeria today. And they're looking at many other sculptures during that period and infusing it into their work. Completely. I mean, 
I mean, if all that stuff had been on the blockchain, we'd know who really owns it. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is that even the ideas around art, Joanne, and what we consider art is also coming through a European lens. Because when we think about the traditions of, uh, you know, work from the continent, when I say the continent Africa, work was functional. It wasn't even art. It wasn't art that you put on the wall. Because we think about art as a living, a living practice, a living object, and it had purpose. So think about the mask, you know, that we look at from any of the, the, the countries, whether it's from Ghana, Senegal, Nigeria, the way we've been taught to experience those works are on pedestals. Mm -hmm. On a museum, you see it on the wall, you see it in a pedestal. And so that same way of experience it, we want to replicate it and bring it into our homes without even knowing the origin that those masks were used for spiritual purposes, whether it was a, a libation ceremony, maybe it was a funeral, you know, a coming of age ceremony, but they were living sculptures that someone actually, a body was, in, in, was using that piece to perform some type of ritual. Yeah. I mean, there's a saying, wait, well, there's always a saying, which is nothing is original, right? I mean, it always comes from someone um, yes. and comes from somewhere and that, you know, people grab a little piece of whatever it is and then reinterpret it into their own work. So when you, so what made you draw, what, what drew you to rugs? Like, how did you begin in that, that first arena? Yeah, it was interesting. I went to FIT, uh, Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City, and I was studying textile design. Okay, and so within textile design, there's you designing bedding, it's fabric, um, wallpaper, and then we had rug design. Now, I was like, oh, rug design. We had to take the class, but I was really interested <laughs> because I was painting. I was using color. I was using texture. There was, I was able to bring this artwork to life in a way that I had never experienced before. And so then I got really interested in it. I had a great professor and then I expanded my experience by creating an independent study where I was designing rugs for a cruise ship. And, you know, and then I, I realized it, rug design combined like all of my loves, like for paint, color and product. And then many people could experience my work. Very, very cool. And so you're still making the rugs. Yeah, I am on, <laughs> only on call though. Only when people ask me right now. Very, so you've sort of transitioned into something else, which is, well, you're working with the Black Artists and Designers Guild, which you really started up. That's right, I founded that two years and, ago. And so is that sort of where you you saw something and you had a passion and you, in, I mean, you're entrepreneurial. So I think the thing about entrepreneurs is that you don't necessarily think about, okay, this is what I'm doing next. It just is like, you know, this sort of interests me. And then before you know it, you've taken a dive into something that you're like, you know, I'm going to get involved in this sort of thing. Is that how that came about? No, I think it was big. I think it was deeper than that, Joanne. I was at a period of my time where I took a sabbatical from my rug business and I was going back to my art. I was um, engaging in painting and ceramics. And I was able to look at the industry from different eyes because, again, with the challenges of trying to share my story through design, I was like, there has to be a different way. And I and I saw how the industry continued to keep the door closed to my community, to my story. And so I, I realized it's 20 at the time it was 2018. Okay. And the messages of constantly um, being shut out and ignored, 
I was just like, it's, 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 we're 2018, why are we still going through this? For and sure. I, I had colleagues who continue, we continue to have the same conversation behind closed doors. And I thought it was time that, you know, we, we air out the dirty laundry that nobody wants to talk about. You know, the magazines were not representative of myself, my community, but this was the same images and information that I learned 25 years ago at FIT. Mm -hmm. It was the same thing that when I would open the magazine, for example, I barely saw anybody that looked like me. And if I did, they definitely weren't in rug design. So, but you know, I found my way to figure out who my mentors could be. But the point is, 25 years later, the same story is being told. And I realized, you know, I looked to my ancestors and I thought about all the activists that have come before me and said, listen, there's no excuse that I shouldn't speak up because I do have that power to speak the truth. And I use social media with a post to start off that conversation. And what did and, that post say? And that post really outed the, um, the uh, coveted event that happens, What's New, What's Next, where this, this is an industry event where the speakers and you know everybody who's who of the industry come together and it's, it's a full day of um, talks. But there were no black artist designers on the panel, not even moderating. And I said, you know, this is ridiculous. And I and I put it out on social and said, let's see what everybody else thinks. And they chimed in, even the editors of magazines talk about the how they were complicit and that, you know, we need to do better. And so I I, I knew it wasn't just me, but the point is that hope that opened the door. And I knew about the black talent from around the world because I was already always connected with the community. I traveled around the world and whenever I travel, I'm always reaching out. So there was just no excuse. So the, the Black Artists and Designers Guild was a dream that I had been having for a long time. And it was just like, you know what? Like my mother always said to me, work with what you have. And I knew about how to create a website. I knew how to gather people and i knew how to get the word out and so i put all that together and created an online directory that's how it started that's and awesome now it's grown, <laughs> now, so it's grown. Speaking, now it's grown i mean literally i think that the silver lining of covid has been that all those dust bunnies you know historically have been like shoved under a carpet if you chose to ignore them have all crept out and they're not going back in no, and you know, a lot of them, they've been out, they've been out in, 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 in people's faces. So, you know, so blatantly, it's just that COVID really, because we couldn't move socially like, we, like, like we're used to, you, it, was, it was harder, I'll say harder to turn your eye. It was yes. harder to close your eyes and be blind to it. Yes. And that's what the difference is now, because all of what has happened, it's no different. Like, that's why, you know, when I could look at 25 years ago when I was in college and in 2018 at the time, well, where's the difference? There was really not much. No, there really wasn't. Well, it is interesting when you talk about magazines, because I'm sure you're a magazine addict just like I am, um, which is I have noticed in the last three to four months, El Decor, the editor-in-chief is a black guy. Yeah. And honestly, I DM'd him on Twitter, the first one he did. I said, this is honestly the best one I've seen in 20 years. I mean, it's cutting edge, it's what's happening. There is a, you know, it looks like we should look like. And it's much cooler and hipper. 
and it's much more diverse. And even in a regular Elle magazine or a Vogue magazine, we're seeing much diversity, not even in the faces of people, but in the bodies. That's mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there are no longer all hangers. That's right. You know, as women, yes. but women of round shapes and wide shapes and different shapes and you know, it feels good. It's like, it's a conversation that continues to freaking happen, but someone is finally executing on it. That's right. And that's the difference It's the execution. And it should no longer be a surprise to see that. And that is what has to change. If we're at a point where we're like, oh my gosh, wow, look at this. Oh my gosh. Oh, look, finally, they like just having those expressions. Oh, finally. Oh, finally. We shouldn't have that expression. No, It should no. just be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's all that we've been trying to say, you know, for all these years. When, again, that saying, when there is no justice, no peace, there's no justice for one group. You can't have justice for one group and, and not for another. None of us will have it. And it's just like you can't tell a part of a story and think you've told the full story. We've all been fed a portion, a portion of a story. It seemed to work for years for only certain people. That's right. Yeah. For the, for the storytellers. Those yeah. are the storytellers. So, you know, as we're talking about this, and now it's, you know, 2021, we're all starting to like come out. I mean, it's like crazy town going out in New York City. I mean, you know, the last couple of evenings that I've been out have been like out to like one in the morning. Like, you know, everyone's so excited. And, you know, what are you seeing and what are you thinking as you're watching? change that should have happened 25 years ago start to begin to change and from people that you know in your industry you know what are the conversations that people are having well i mean we to be honest you know this is it's not like we haven't had change before we just are like well how, let's see how long it's going to last historically we We've been burnt many times, you know, uh -huh. we start to see. I mean, I do feel that there are certain things that are happening that are different now, but again, um, it's going to be a long journey. This is For a sure. journey. I mean, it's great to see the starts of conversations to start, but like to truly get to like inclusive living, I mean, all around, it's going to take a while. I mean, there are going to be a lot of um, systems that have to be dismantled. And I think the more people understand that you cannot continue to work with the broken table and just patch it with a Band-Aid and think it's going to be a, a table that's functional. No, we got to get rid of it and yeah. just start from scratch. To see so many people in government, mm -hmm. um, that to me is a good sign. Because as much as I have, as we all do our issues with government, <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. That's what we got. You know, we are a capitalist country and that's our government, whether we like it or not. And um, I think that feels really good, particularly for the generations coming up to see people like themselves who are making the laws and um, and bringing money into their communities um, to help for whatever reason need be. Yeah, yeah. But I also think, too, as a as a black woman, I continue to have to check in with my mental health and, you know, understand to have boundaries and that boundaries are really important to because there are a lot of times where we don't want to have these conversations because it's a trigger to, to, to reliving traumas. 
And so I think also during this time that people have to understand that we don't want to constantly talk about the pain or the marginalization and all of these negative things that have been happening and that we also have to work on having our radical, I call it radical self-care. I've been hearing that a lot and I'm like, yeah, it is so true. What are your goals for the Guild? Like, what do you want to see that become as it continues to grow? Yeah, well, the Guild is our safe space, which I love. It's our safe space to be and to really explore what it is that we want for our practices. I look at our practices, they're artists and designers, as a tool for liberation. Mm -hmm. And it's a space where we are growing, you know, entrepreneurs specifically, that we're all independent makers of some sort. And I want that to be the hub, the hub where, you know, Black artists and designers can come and collaborate with each other, build community, and they have a supportive space that they could feel that regardless of what goes on outside, meaning in the industry, because we're not here to change the industry on our own. We want to work as a collective so we could center our practices on ourselves. And so we understand that racism, sexism, all of those isms will exist. Understanding that, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't um, take up our right to have space and, and, and own our narratives and really know who we are. So the Guild is really providing all the tools to become better leaders. And I hope that as we grow with our membership and our programming and um, our, our opportunities to really do research on Black history and culture, which is so important, that our members will continue to become leaders, the leaders that they are born to be, and that they continue, and then we pass it on to the next generation. So it just becomes a cycle of growth. Super cool. Are you seeing more and more people coming and more transactions happening on the, on the site over the past year? Have you seen that explode? Oh, yes. It exploded last year. It That's hit great. like a tsunami where we were, and now, you know, it's interesting how it was, it was great, but yet it was like, oh, wait a second. We also had to realize that people were coming to us because they thought by coming to us and partnering, they're doing the work. And of course, doesn't work, doesn't, doesn't work that way. So, you know, and then also, yes, we're a nonprofit, but then also, you know, we, if you want to work with us, we're our part of our mission is, is about creating equity, you know, and that there involves a, a financial commitment to be with us, as well as a, a financial commitment to our members. And that's really um, big, especially when it comes to the industry, the disparity on how we're getting paid and how much we're getting paid. Mm -hmm. we, you know, and so that's part of the work that we're doing um, as, on, as part as how we're trying to change the industry is that we are really trying to empower our leaders too, to know that your worth is as high as you want it to be. It's not based on what you thought it was going to be, but that organizations, corporate companies, whoever wants to work with us, they have to make a financial investment in order for us to change this, this system. I think that's great. Talk about SURF. You're a board member there. Yes. And, you know, you provide emergency loans to artisans and craftsmen during natural disasters. You know, talk a little about the mission and what you did during this time period. To be honest, it's been a really crazy time because of, you know, you think about natural disaster, right, as like a hurricane, you know, a tornado, 
know, or something, but now it was COVID. Yeah. You know, these were like basic necessities. And they've been, they've allocated different funds just specific during the COVID time. And they're also making a, a huge outreach to specifically the black community in the craft world, because that is an area where they haven't had as many applications and have not been able to reach. And so they've made it a certain effort to create funds and change their system of how they're allocating money to potential recipients for their grants. That's great. And that's just an ongoing process with them. Well, you know, the whole concept in this country versus Europe, let's just use, that so support the art in their countries. I mean, even, you know, Denmark gives money to filmmakers or London allows you to be an artist and pay you to do that. Or you can go to school all the way through college in France and any of those European countries with the medical care, which is free and quite good. You know, as our taxes go up, which I have no problem paying more taxes, but those European benefits that truly enable artists to be artists is something that we are definitely missing in this country that you need organizations like SURF. Because if you're an artist, you're an artist. I mean, you're not going to like all of a sudden start programming or, you know, it's just like, it's just part of who you are. And I think also, Joe, and to your point, we, we have to think about artists as a different, I should say, we have to value the work and minds of artists because we rely on them to tell, tell us about history. They're the ones documenting every moment. Completely. They are the ones, and I say they, I'm part of that, they are the ones of telling what happened during that time, yes. right? That's how we're able to even learn about communities. It's through their art. Yes, yes. I mean, I don't know if you went to see the Alice Neal exhibit at the Met, mm -mm. but I mean, it was like the first time I've been to a museum in like okay. a week and a half. So it was like, oh, you know, but, you know, I, of course I knew her as an artist, but I don't know a lot enough about her and i read every single plaque mm. and um which i much prefer than listening and you know the paintings that she made so represented a time what was going on in her neighborhood among women motherhood what was going on in germany and nazi germany and you know these things are going to live around for years and years to come and so anyone couldn't just think wow the importance of art you know bleeds into everything else i mean my kids went to a school where it's progressive so when you learned art you were also learning the same thing in every single vertical except of course math but you know, I always liked that because it was very circular because that is what happens as we live our day-to-day -day lives. Everyone is doing or wearing or creating or thinking about what is happening now. Yeah, yeah. So it really is important that we, we uh, create financial um, channels so artists can thrive and survive. Completely. 
you know, you talk a lot about um, solo traveling. Oh, yeah. It's not one of my favorite. Pastimes. So, you know, what is it and where have you gone? Because certainly I think the most important thing you can do is to go other places so that you understand societies in a different way. Yeah. And I think it's the way you travel, too. I mean, it can't just be at a resort. Can't oh. just be on the beach, you know, when you don't invest or involve yourself in the communities that you're traveling to, the experience is very limiting. You know, mm -hmm. and of course, there's nothing wrong with taking that vacation where you just don't want to be around anybody or do anything. But there's also a benefit to having those experiences where you are interacting with the people who actually live there mm -hmm. and experiencing the culture. I've been all around the world, Joanne. I mean, my last year, well, not last year, uh, 2020 uh, March was my last trip because wow. I, I came back from Guyana. I was in Guyana, but prior to that, I was in Senegal, then I was in Paris, then I was in Virginia, and I was, you know, I was traveling, you know, and I've been to many places. And every time I go, I like to travel, like I say, like a local. Like, I want to know where the local spots are, you know, great. Nothing is wrong with going to the touristy areas, but I think there should be a balance between that. That helps to create the true experience of, a, of cultural immersion. I totally agree. And we used to travel. I mean, we travel all the time too, but when our kids were young, you know, we would take on mostly cities is where we would go and we would take it on like, you know, as our life depended on it, you know, we'd go to the museums, we'd go to the galleries, we'd go to find the local food spots, you know, we would walk the streets until we were absolutely exhausted. And, you know, those are the things that we did because that's how you really felt the flavor of the, the city. And I would say, I remember being in Rome with our kids, they were young and there was this line behind the synagogue. And it was some bakery. And I was like, listen, if there's a line, let's get in it. <laughs> you know, and then, and then you know there's something good in there, right? right. <laughs> and so, you know, we went in and there was like four, three women, and they made four things. That was it. That was it. And, you know, and we bought bags of all of them. And over the course of the next two days, we just ate them all up. And it, it was just, you know, it was such a great experience because, you know, you would have never found this otherwise. You know, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, do you have a favorite spot? Oh, my goodness. I have so many. Like, uh, I mean, when I think about the regions, you know, I mean, I've only been, I love Dakar, Senegal, and I do love Accra too, Ghana, when I think of the continent, but I've been to both places multiple times. And then in the Caribbean, you know, I love going home to Jamaica, my father's from there. And then my mother's from St. Vincent, and I've been to many of the other islands and I have friends in various. So I just love the region itself going there. You know, I, I would love to explore Central and South America more. I've only been to like Peru, and um, Venezuela, so I haven't been to many, but, and East Africa is like on my, my list. So, but favorites is just, you know, good food, warm weather, good people. You know, I've been to Southeast Asia, I spent three months over there and I have Bali, Indonesia. I gotta get back there, it's been a while, but I have to get back. In Thailand, I had a great time. India is like my second home. So, I mean, You've yeah. done it. You've done it. And hopefully we can all start to travel again and bring back some normalcy to our lives.
I'm looking forward to that part. I am too. Sure. And I do hope that I want to believe we're at, we're at a, a very an important crux in the road where people that haven't been heard for way too long are being heard. Yeah, I, I, I hope so too, for sure. I really do. And I think, you know, to be honest, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to take our generation, but, you know, to, to set the foundation, yes. you know, for the next generation to really come in and, and, and just take off with it. But okay. we have to set the foundation. We, we do. I do. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's one of the nicer things about, of many nice things about being in New York. You know, you don't see that separation or as much as you do in other places in this country. Yeah, it, there's a, it is quite a difference when you're in a, a city too, like New York, because what goes on in the rest of the country, it's like kind of shocking at, at some, you're like, really, that happens? Because we're, we're, we're so isolated in a way. There's yeah. many shields around us by being in a city like New York, where the norm is you just see everybody. I mean, yeah. everybody. Yeah, I mean, we spend a lot of time in LA and I always say, you know, LA has like a lot of teapots. They're all sort of touching each other. Mm -hmm. But in New York, all the teapots are mashed into each other. Mm -hmm. yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And it's just, it's very different. It anyway, well, thank you so much for talking to us. I'm really excited, uh, you know, to hear about Black Artists and Designers Guild. And um, I hope that it continues to grow and grow and grow. And, um, and again, if anyone's interested in a fabulous carpet, please reach out because your carpets are really pretty cool. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Joanne. It was great talking with you, too. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. To learn more about Black Artists and Designers Guild, you can visit the website at badguild, B-A-D-G-U-I-L-D dot info. Our next guests on Positively Gotham Gal will be Cindy Spiegel and Julie Grau, the two women behind the new publishing house, Spiegel and Grau, to discuss the release of their first title, Fox and I, and In Common Friendship. <laughs>